Good morning. When you consider the advancement of the gospel, gospel advancement, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of some sort of evangelistic outreach like Billy Graham crusade from back in the day. Maybe you have a a thought of a, a Sunday school teacher talking with a small child, explaining kind of the foundations of what the gospel is. Perhaps you think of some church outreach or the sending out of missionaries. But when I ask that question, when you consider the gospel, what comes to mind Did you think about your own life? My desire this morning is that when you depart, you will be rejoicing in the reality that the gospel is advancing. That's what we are about. We exist because the gospel exists. We've been called and established for the purpose of making known the name and the glory and the fame of Christ Jesus. So let's pray and then we'll jump into Philippians chapter one. Lord God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you did not leave us to our own devices because that would only give us hell. But instead, out of your grace, your love and mercy, you send forth your beloved, only begotten son. So that we, rebels, enemies, would be brought back, brought near, brought to you, redeemed, forgiven, made new. Lord, that's it. That's the best news in the world. That's life changing. It alters how we interact with other people. It alters how we view circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I pray that you would help us to come to it again and again and again, that we would never forget it. Be with us this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, that it would encourage us and challenge us But also pray, Lord, that your word wouldn't just stop with us. It would flow out from us. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 1. We are working through this little letter written by Paul to a church in Philippi in kind of modern-day Macedonia. It's a church that he has some very interesting interactions with. It's a church he loves. They love him. And this morning, we finally turn away from the introduction, right? The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how this church got started and some of this introduction. But now we get to the body, kind of the meat of this letter. And so in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we're going to be looking at 12 through 18 this morning. Paul writes these words. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, 
are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You have to understand this letter is written. It was sent back to this church. This church is aware of Paul's situation. They know why Paul is in prison. They know the story. Right? He had returned to Jerusalem to do some things there. He brought back some money to the Jerusalem church. He was ministering and doing things. He went into the temple. He's arrested by the Jewish leaders. He's then taken and he's questioned and he's shipped from person to person. He's eventually left for a while in, in one kind of prison as they wait for the new governor to be appointed by Rome. That new one comes, eventually sends him off. I mean, he's been shipwrecked, everything. He is now in a prison cell, probably not actually a prison cell, but chained to a guard under house arrest. Right? They didn't have the little digital bands, ankle bands that they have now to keep track of people. So what they did is they handcuffed you to a guard. And Paul his, when he finally gets into the body of this, this letter, says something unexpected. He says, what's happened to me, all of these circumstances that have led for me to be arrested and tried and moved and shifted, and now here waiting for the fate of my life. It's being decided whether Paul should die or live. That's what he's waiting for. All of these things have occurred to me, he says. It's all happened to me to serve the advancement of the gospel. The things that have occurred, Paul says, everything that put me right here in this situation with these circumstances rather serves the Lord. Why is that unexpected? Well, if you're the Philippians, one, you, you love Paul, right? You, you, you want to know that he's doing well. And you would hope he would say, hey, things are looking great. It looks like I'm, you know, I'm going to be found not guilty. I'm going to be out. I'll be back. See you guys in a couple months. Yeah, that's what they're hoping for. Or in their minds, they're probably also thinking, if Paul is this great evangelist, if Paul is the great church planter, and he's now being held, withheld from doing those things, surely the gospel isn't moving forward, at least not in Paul's life. And Paul says, whoa, 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 hold on. Rather, the thing you think is hindering the gospel is actually being used by God for the advancement of the gospel. If you were with us a couple weeks ago when we were in Acts 16, I wonder if the, the Philippian jailer was like, oh, I know what Paul's talking about. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about right now, I think you can find that sermon online. Check it out. Paul says no. In fact, what has occurred here is for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. And so here we go, right? Here's the thing I want you to understand, church. 
Your life is an avenue for gospel advancement. Your life has purpose, regardless of where you are or the circumstance you find yourself in. Your life is an avenue of gospel advancement. This whole passage really isn't about Paul. It's about the gospel. The word gospel is used twice in verse 12 and 16. In verse 14, Paul says that the people are speaking the word, meaning the the word of life, speaking the word that, that salvation is found in. Verse 17 says they are proclaiming Christ. This whole passage is about the gospel. It's advancing regardless of whatever situation Paul finds himself in. How? Is Paul's life an avenue for the gospel? And here's what I want us to ask ourselves. How is your life an avenue for the gospel? I mean, Paul's in, he's in custody. His life might be coming to an end and he's saying all of this is for the glory of God. Take a look here at verse 13. Excuse me. So, Right, so he's 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 being held imprisonment. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Right, the imperial guard is a, a force of about six thousand soldiers that were used by the emperor. The whole imperial guard, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for. Christ. So while Paul is shackled to a guard, he is free to speak the gospel. And if you know anything about Paul, he has shared the gospel probably a million times with the guy who's cuffed to him. Paul, we also know while he's in jail, while he's even in in, in a more uh, kind of secluded place, they would often allow visitors to come and to see him. We know that even here, even under house arrest, the Philippians have sent goods and they have also sent a member of their body to help Paul. And surely Paul is talking about the gospel. He's talking about how to live for the the glory and and the honor of Christ. He's talking about church situations with the Philippians. And these guards and these other people, mostly non-believers, are all hearing these conversations so much so that Paul can say, the whole guard, these 6,000 people know why I am here. They know that I'm not here because I'm a dangerous criminal. They know I'm here because I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can almost imagine these guards maybe saying like, oh, did you hear about that guy, Paul? He's really not a bad guy. I mean, he's super friendly. He's got people come and visit him. I mean, he talks about Jesus all the time, whoever that guy is. But, I mean, he seems like an okay person. Now, you have to understand, maybe this isn't you. This is me. But when I hear something and I don't know what it is, or it's some weird circumstance, I want to know more about it. Even things I don't understand. I was having a conversation with someone in your body here, our, our church, who is a chemist, and I did okay in chemistry. I don't know what I'm making. I can do the math of balancing those things when I took chemistry, and the chemists are all like, you're an idiot. But that's okay. I'm not a chemist. That's not my job. But as he was talking about this thing, I was enthralled. I'm like, wait, tell me more about that. Because I don't know what you're talking about and I want to understand it. 
So you can imagine these 600 guards. I mean, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, who is this Jesus that you're talking about? You're in jail because of Jesus? Why? Notice that you don't see Paul moaning or grumbling. He sees this as an opportunity to spread the gospel through his own life, right? They're observing his life through the words that come out of his mouth. He's there for Christ. He has a captive audience. Someone's handcuffed to him. You can't get away from me. I gotta share with you who Jesus is. I gotta share with you the need of redemption. And I I know you think life is about these things, but let me tell you where true life is found. What an odd happenstance. It's almost as if God somehow ordained this to happen. That's one way, but that's not the only way. Look here, verse 14. Paul says, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the first way the gospel is advanced is just by Paul's own speaking and living out the gospel in his own life. But the second way he says here in verse 14 is that his life is stirring other Christians. The gospel is not just advancing with non-believers. The gospel is advancing within believers. They are observing his bold faith. They have seen how he is faithfully proclaiming the gospel amidst trials and circumstances. He's emboldened them. He's encouraging them. Christians, haven't you ever looked at another believer's life and you've just been stirred? Like, ah. Wish I had that boldness. It makes you a little bit more bold. Wish I had that kind of faith. God uses you to stir people. I want to encourage you. Read the Bible. Be stirred by by the figures in the Bible that we see. By Paul. By Peter. By David. By by whoever you read in the scriptures. Be encouraged by them. But also I want to encourage you. I apologize. I don't know who the librarian is for the the church here. And maybe I'm getting myself in trouble here because I don't even know if the library is open after service. But if it is, go to the library and check out some biographies. Have you ever heard of Adoniram Judson? He's one of the first American missionaries. Or Hudson Taylor. I mean, you can read about him and his wife, Maria, who he was mocked. For, for how he was approaching the Chinese to bring the gospel to them. Or one of my favorite, John G. Patton. He had a, an established ministry. I think it was in Edinburgh, if I remember right. And he decides he wants to leave a, a flourishing ministry to go be a missionary. And one of his main donors writes to him because he wants to go to this islands where there's these cannibals that literally have eaten previous missionaries. And one of his supporters says, the cannibals... You will be eaten by cannibals. Patton says, I replied with these words. Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is to soon be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honor the 
honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. In that great day, my resurrected body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our Redeemer. Doesn't that make you want to be like, yeah, let's go. Missions, come on, let's get on the boat, right? Like you read that, like you're stirred, like, oh, I wish I would reply that way. I read about an unnamed Russian pastor who was jailed, who every morning he would stand up and he would face the only crack of light that came through the cell and he would start to pray and, and sing songs about his savior. And the other prisoners would mock and swear and, and do all of these things. And finally, when the Russians, after years and years of beating him and doing these things, and every day he would still get up and he would do this same song, the same prayer. When they finally go to drag him out to execute him, all of the prisoners stand up and sing the song he sang and pray the prayer he prayed. And the guards are looking at him saying, who are you? What, how? How? Doesn't that stir in your heart? Like, man, I want that faith. You, in your own life, have the opportunity of leaving a legacy for those who watch you, whether you're a parent, a grandparent. Maybe you don't have any kids. Maybe you're just leaving a legacy for other brothers and sisters in the faith to look at you and say, man, I've seen your faithfulness, even in the ordinary things. Man, I want that kind of faith. You have the opportunity to advance the gospel in your life. Paul writes these words in another letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says these things. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also might manifest in our mortal flesh. He's saying like, we're experiencing trials. We're experiencing tribulations. We are, we are being given over to death. Why? So that Jesus would be manifest in our life. It's almost this idea that when you're in difficult circumstances or situations and you're being cracked or, or chipped or, or bruised, the light of Christ shines forth more in those circumstances. I think the problem is, is most of us, when we're in a difficult circumstance, Our first thought isn't, let's see how I can glorify God in this. It's, how do I get out of it now? Most of us need to understand, we don't realize that those circumstances are for the gospel advancement in your own life. I mean, Paul could have moaned and groaned, I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I here? But instead, it seems like he begins to understand, I'm here because God is increasing my faith in him. God is helping me to trust him in all circumstances. It's that kind of faith that can say, whether I live or die, it's for the glory and the honor of Christ. So I say to us, do we use every opportunity as a means to display the glory and the grace of God in our lives? Are we leaving a legacy that others would look at and say, oh, if only I could be as faithful as him. If only my faith would be so bold like hers. To do that, we have to surrender wholly to Christ. 
And so I began this sermon by saying, my desire is that you would leave today rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel. And perhaps after my first point here, you are thinking, I'm not really happy. I'm kind of discouraged right now. You've looked at the circumstances of life. You haven't seen them as a gospel avenue. You haven't been very committed. Instead, it's easier to grumble than it is to exalt and trust in the Lord. It's easy to stay quiet and not say anything. Keep your head down and hope that no one will see. And you can just skate by unnoticed and get through it as quick as possible. The good news of the gospel is, is that to you, there's forgiveness. And tomorrow's a new day. And it doesn't have to remain that way. And so now we come to the rejoicing part. Church, I want all of us to rejoice in gospel advancement. Rejoice. And I, 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 I use the word rejoice because I think happy is a cheap word. Be happy in gospel. Like it's just, I'm not talking like, hey, yay, gospel. I'm talking about this deep-rooted joy that even amidst suffering, there's still hope. Rejoice. Look here at verses 15 and 17. Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The the, The latter do it out of love, love for him, love for the gospel, Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. There are some thing we have to understand here. There are two groups of people who are seeing Paul's situation and are sharing the gospel. They're observing how Paul is handling these situations. They're observing where he is. And there are two groups of people who are preaching the gospel. And the first thing I want you to understand about these groups of people is both of them are faithfully preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because I know how Paul is. If you read other letters that Paul has written, if someone isn't preaching the, the real gospel, if, if someone is, is being a heretic in what they say, Paul has absolutely no problem condemning them and pointing out, here's the error in your teaching. He doesn't do that here. They are not proclaiming a false gospel. Neither is Paul hinting at a watering down of the gospel or this kind of ecumenical movement that undermines the truth of the gospel. He's not saying like, well, they they call themselves Christians, so we're okay. Or they, they mention Jesus, so there's no real big problem here. Yeah, they maybe don't believe Jesus is the son of God, but but it's all right. Like that's not what Paul's talking about here. These people are preaching the gospel. The problem here. How are they applying pressure? Literally when it says here how they are afflicting me imprisonment. A more literal translation would say is they are trying to add pressure to my chains. So what are they doing? What's this one group that is, they're still preaching the gospel. But what are they doing that's applying pressure to Paul's chains? Well, it's not exactly clear. Some might have wanted to undermine Paul's authority. Right? Let's be honest here. Even good Christians sometimes like to be viewed as more important than other Christians. Perhaps they want to knock him down a notch. You know, Paul, like, come on. You think you're all, all great? 
an apostle? Perhaps they're stirring up division like we see in 1 Corinthians, right? Some people, oh, I'm about Paul or I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And, and Paul's like, they're, they're all preaching the gospel, but people are, are, are dividing. They're like, oh, I really like this pastor. And Paul's like, it's not really about the pastor. We see this kind of stuff happening. I've been around long enough to see faithful churches become puffed up because they have an increase in attendance. We have such a great pastor. We're so much better than the small church across town. I mean, look how big our building is. There's also jealousy from the smaller churches or the smaller pastors, if you will. If only I could be, if only I could have a church. If only God would use me this way. And we're not sure exactly what's happening here, but I think that's part of it. And you would want to ponder, if the motive's the problem, how does this bother Paul? But if you look at the text, what you will find is something that I think is amazing. It doesn't bother him at all. He's not angry. Whatever their motives might be, what they are doing, preaching the gospel faithfully, is the very thing that Paul is pouring out his life for. He doesn't care. Maybe you have the wrong motives, but as long as what you're saying is true, go for it. They're proclaiming Christ. I love this. I love, it just, it just, it's amazing to me. Paul doesn't care what happens to him. Fine, you, you, you want to say, hey, look, look at all the people that I've led to the gospel. Paul hasn't done that. I mean, he's in jail. Paul's like, hey, man, that you've led all those people to the gospel. I don't care. It's not about me. If Christ is exalted, if, if the gospel is advancing, if people are coming to know Jesus as the only hope of salvation, if they're seeing their sins and they're being struck to the heart by it, that they are repenting and believing and turning from those things, I don't care if people never remember my name as long as his name is remembered forever and ever. That's what Paul's saying here i love what he says look here verse verse what is it 18 what then you know they're trying to apply pressure they have wrong motives what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice how do you rejoice in the gospel you step aside and you make the gospel the preeminent thing We rejoice in the gospel. I think some of us need to remember the gospel. We sometimes have forgotten what the gospel is. And we focus so much on ourselves. So that when the gospel advances. And we're not the ones doing the advancing. We sometimes think. This is bad. This is wrong. What about me? I think sometimes we start the gospel too early. Right? We, we, we start with us. We're sinners, right? But the gospel started in eternity past. If the triune, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God living in perfect community in love and out of love, they create a glorious world. 
and they, they create all of these things and they put man and woman as, as the supreme creatures of creation as we are image bearers of God. And in our sin, we fall away. Right? The, the, the first parents, they, they eat of the fruit and they, they fall away. They say, we don't want God. We want our own reign. We want to be kings of our own life. And so they eat this fruit. And the reality is you want to blame Adam and Eve, but you do it every day too. I don't want God. I, I want to be king of my own life. See, here's what I'm saying. Here's where the gospel starts even before you get to you. Because long before you were born, God let humanity stay alive. That's good news. I don't know about you. I kind of like being alive. But God, even from the very beginning, you read the fall and literally, I think it's five verses later, God says, a son of the woman will come. He will crush the head of the serpent. The gospel exists long before you were born. And then we show up on the scene and, and we're sinning just like we always have. And, 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 and then we realize by the grace of God, our eyes are open to that sin. And we realize we need a savior. And then we, 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 we fathom, we, we try to fathom the depths of his love. You are enemies and he sends his son to you. Church, and I say you, but I'm me. I'm including myself here too, right? Like I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm we're sinner of all of you. Have you thought about the love that you see in the gospel for you, a rebellious, unworthy sinner? Doesn't that make you want to rejoice? Because if you needed to merit the grace and the love that is shown to you in the gospel, you will never succeed in that. Doesn't that make you rejoice? Not in, look how amazing I am, but look how amazing God is. When you, when you understand that you deserve wrath, but instead it is poured out upon Christ, who God sent for you while you were still dead in sin, lives the life that you could not live, is crucified on a cross. The wrath of God is struck against him, the only righteous one, so that us unrighteous ones who are underneath or united in him, we don't receive the wrath, we receive grace and the righteousness. Doesn't that make you want to rejoice? And then we realize that as we believe in that, we are changed we're not who we once were. We start to, to live differently. We start to have different uh, passions, different desires. We are about his name. And we're, like, we're not like, hey, let me tell you how great I am. We are, hey, let me tell you about how great he is. And we get to rejoice in the fact that we get to see him working in the hearts and the lives of other people that they come to know him as well. And we rejoice and say, oh man, it is amazing miracles that happen every time when God opens the eyes of the blind and they come to see him as good and glorious and they believe Christ as the only way, the only hope, the only truth, the only life, the only thing that will satisfy their lives forever and ever and ever. And I rejoice in that. And again, maybe it's just me, but when I am thinking on those things, 
my life seems to have this underlining joy regardless of the circumstance. I've never been in prison like Paul, but I've gone through suffering and some things like that. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel because it's still working in your own life. So rejoice in the advancement of the gospel as you are being saved more and more as you believe in it. Rejoice in the gospel as it advances in here. Rejoice in the gospel as it goes out there. The thing that's funny is that all of these authors that I, or, or, or biographies that I would point you to, you would see this one thread that seems to go through these men and women's life is they say, I could care less if anybody remembers my name. I rejoice in the name of the Lord and I want his name to be exalted. Man, I hope that's what we're about. And here's the thing I think is pretty awesome about how this works. I actually rejoice when I am made small and he is made big. I praise God that he would do that more in my life and I'm praying that he does it more in your life as well. Let us rejoice in the gospel. Pastor John Piper makes this statement. This is what he's famous for. And it's, it's true here. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. You might say, God is most glorified in me when I most rejoice in him. If I die, I see God, and so I rejoice in this suffering. If I live, I get to make his name known, so I rejoice right now in these circumstances. I pray that you would see Christ as your true pleasure and delight because that's what Paul sees and that's why he can say, what then? I don't care what the pretense is. As long as Christ is being exalted in his name high, I don't care if people remember my name because the reality is no one's gonna remember your name. In like 100 years, no one will remember your name. But in thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now, everyone will know the name of Christ. So let's rejoice in him. Let's set ourselves aside and say, my whole life is poured out for him. And I rejoice that I have the opportunity to walk on this earth to make his name known. So let's rejoice at the advancement of the gospel in our own lives and in the lives of others. Let's pray. Lord, the reality is if we took enough time, we could not pen all of the reasons to praise and rejoice in your name. pray that you would help us to take the time to ponder some of those things so that when we are pricked by affliction, when we are cracked or broken 
by the difficulties of life, what pours out from us is not grumbling, it's not complaining. Instead, it's rejoicing in the gospel. It's showing glory in our hope of Christ Jesus. But let us set aside selfish ambition. Let us not preach the gospel out of envy or rivalry, but instead out of a hope that your name would be exalted because we rejoice in making much of you. So help us to decrease so that you might increase. Help us to to understand that regardless of the circumstances you have placed us in, there is a reason and a purpose. And it's that your name would be made famous. It's that the hope of the gospel would spread out How awesome is it that 6,000 people at least got to know, maybe they didn't believe, but they got to hear the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I look at my own life and I want to say, help me to help six people know the gospel. Help us as a church that our legacy would not be who we were, but our legacy that we would leave is who you are us to be about you and your gospel until we breathe our last. Let us rejoice in all things because of that we have when we have Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.